What do you think you're doing, boy? Stay your hand. The girl's life is now mine. I'm sure she'll make a lovely wife for you. There's a demon inside of you. It's inside both of you. Look, everyone! This is what hatred looks like. This is what it does when it catches hold of you. It's eating me alive, and very soon now it will kill me. Fear and anger only make it grow faster. I'm getting a little bored of this curse of yours, Ashitaka. Let me just cut the damn thing off! Someone come here and take her from me. <gasps> Milady! <gasps> Don't worry, she's just stunned. She'll be all right. Listening to the Cinema Nine podcast, Travis Roy, Michael Govier, and of course Eric Branstrom. He's not here today, but he's with us. He'll be back soon. He's enjoying his vacay, and it's going to be fun, Travis. I'm looking forward to his return. Yeah, he's like a little forest spirit, just kind of fading in and out. His head kind of mm-hmm. shaking and rattling before he comes back in full view. Strokes, just <laughs> mini strokes. <laughs> that's that's him right now. Not yes. not the strokes part though. Well, I don't want to stroke for anybody, especially a good friend that I care about. But yeah, Eric will be back soon. He's still with us. Don't worry. He's just on a sabbatical. But you got us, Travis Roy, Michael Govier. We're going to talk about Travis's choice today, which is known as Princess Mononoke. Mononoke, am I saying that right? Yeah, Princess Mononoke. That's fine. Okay, I figured I did. I'd... Yeah, we're Western white guys. Uh, you know, that's, no one's exactly too high of a standard when it comes to that kind of pronunciation. I would hope that's true, but at the same time, that's why I try even harder because I mm. am a Western white guy, and I'm like, I really got to get this right. I got to do yeah. better. But so. then, like, you end up overreaching. It's like mononoke, and then you sound like an asshole. Yes. Yeah. Wow, so I could not agree more line. with that. That makes all the sense <laughs> of the world to me. So let's try to find the balance between being an asshole and being a reasonable podcast host. Of course, cinemanipod at gmail.com. Five-star review. You know, we'd love to get a review. If you never reviewed the show, take a shot. iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Spotify even now. And uh, the YouTube still exists. We're not, again, if you'd missed it on the last episode, we don't record the show live anymore. The live stream is gone. But, I mean... We could throw some videos on there still. Uh, we haven't done that yet. <laughs> I, I kind of noticed. <laughs> yeah. um, we may be losing some fandom, uh, some fans that way. And definitely uh, this whole every two weeks release thing is kind of taking oh, yeah. away listening yeah. numbers too. <laughs> I take full responsibility for that. That is my fault. Yes, we we need to get, I need to be consistent. We really need to lock in. And I'm, I'm just going to keep trying to do better, folks. I'm sorry. But I did watch this movie today. We're going to talk about Princess Mononoke for our main event. But... We talked about it, and, you know, again, those that follow the show here, you know us well. Or if you're new to the show, welcome. Well, we used to do quarantine viewing picks. In fact, like three weeks ago, probably. We just stopped doing it for one episode, I think, technically, (laughs) that we did last two weeks ago, right? Just for Hot Shots, I think? Oh, no, two. Yeah. Hot Shots, and the last one Eric was on before he left. Yeah. Which was? A movie. That was like six years ago now. (laughs) Yeah, I can't remember. I have no idea what it was. Uh, but you can look it up and see it on YouTube or listen to it wherever you love to listen to your podcast. But 
Also, I want to mention Travis's music show, 9394, a music podcast. You're really, you're banking the episodes. You're getting a lot of interviews. Well, they are interviews in a way, even though they're about albums. Yeah, I mean, right? they're, I mean, I like to think of them as conversations. That's know. fair. Yeah, you know, I mean, but I've, I've been having a lot of meetings with folk and talking about a lot of albums. I'm putting out kind of a regular stream of episodes, and I appreciate the plug, Michael. Thank you. Well, you just got your brother come on and talk yeah. about Recipe for Hate, a classic Bad Religion album that I love. Oh, dude, me and my brother and Bad Religion, like that's a that's a pairing right there. He really uh, had a big impact on me with them, so it was cool to be able to talk about talk about that album with him. <laughs> fa 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 <laughs> raise your <laughs> Dif- different album, different album. <laughs> Um, before before things started to go a little downhill when Mr. Brett left. <laughs> well, that's the best part. Bad Religion is like a, they're like a family. They're like people you know. They really were amazing, and they made a few mistakes, and then they got back to basics. And like, then they made a Christmas album, and then... Uh, no way. Oh, these fucking guys made a Christmas album, dude. They yeah, did? Exists. Yeah. Oh, wow. Bad Religion Christmas, which just like, that just <laughs> doesn't make any fucking sense. I swear, as soon as this show's over, I'm going to go check that out because that blows my mind that that actually happened. Wow. That sounds like a joke. Right? Yeah. It's like the Harvey Weinstein massage palace. (laughs) It just doesn't make any sense. You said it all, my friend. That's well said. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so check out that show, 9394. I listened to the one with uh, your former student, Pearl, talking about Hole. That yeah, she got me into Hole. I didn't appreciate Hole, but I do now. I loved playing Violet on the drums. That is a great song to drum to. It's just a lot of fun. It's high energy, very intense. Good yeah. song. You're listening to but, the 9394 yeah. podcast with me and Mike Govier. Hey, it's the Cinema Night <laughs> podcast meets the 9394 podcast. Right. Of course, uh, movies exist, and we decided for a moment there, we're like, uh, maybe we'll just cut out quarantine viewing picks and we'll just talk about the movie to trim the show a bit. But we've had a few people say they really like... In fact... One guy told me specifically, Travis, his favorite part of the show is when we talk about what we've been watching and share it with you guys. Because he said to me, I think, how else am I supposed to know what Eric's been watching if you don't do quarantine viewing? <laughs> <picks?"> <laughs> That's like, a good oh, question. You're right. Tactically, that is true. Yeah. I don't know how you would. but um, Stalk him, I guess, but please don't yeah, do that. Please, please don't. But uh, we thought we would uh, trim it a little bit. But uh, So I'll share a couple I watched. I watched, uh, it reminded me we did this one. We did Legends of the Fall on this show. And I got to tell you, Travis, it's really weird because I don't remember. I don't remember what I said about the movie on this show at all. And I have a decent memory, but I have no idea what I said about Legends it of the was Fall. All just jokes about Popeye. <laughs> just Popeye jokes, you know, Anthony Hopkins Popeye stroke. That's, that was it. It was. That's funny. That's a seat. What I learned on this viewing, Travis, is that. <laughs> It's a movie I loved growing up, so I had heavy nostalgia. I basically was watching that VHS tape and Boogie Nights VHS tape on repeat rotation in 1997, basically. Mm -hmm. And what I learned this time watching it is this is a movie that has a lot of, I wouldn't say leftist, but a lot of like radical ideas for people you wouldn't think. Like, you're not sure if this guy's like a a hardcore lefty or a libertarian in terms of Anthony Hopkins' character who he's super sympathetic to the absolute travesty and massacres of Native Americans and he he treats them as equals on his own well, property in a time that helps, was... Hun- after after he helps carry out massacres against them, right? Doesn't sure, he, like, he did. leading but, those kinds of things. Yeah, yeah that's fair. You're right. But he did learn and but like, and not only that, he you know had Native Americans living on his property with him together and treated them as equals in a time that you wouldn't see that. So I'm looking at the movie through a different lens now. Legend of the Fall is a very, um, it's got some interesting ideology going on there. And I dig that part of it. Now I didn't really think about that as much when I was younger. Yeah. Um, listen to our other episode. If you want to hear me rail on about uh, masculine myths and how they're perpetuated in that movie, but. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. Now I remember that. I do recall that now. Yeah. yeah. And also, I've judged Brad Pitt's performance because we talked about him recently mm-hmm. on the show about how whether, you know, he doesn't. We did 12 Monkeys. We did. That was the, he, I think that was the one that we were trying to think of a minute ago. That's right. Yeah, yeah it was 12 Monkeys. We did it. That Our was brains the last year. Thanks, Eric. We love you. <laughs> but Brad Pitt plays more of a kind of 
kind of intense, unstable character in 12 mm-hmm. Monkeys. So I was judging the Legends of the Fall performance, which is just classic. I'm super sexy and I'm going to get emotional about things too, but I'm also going to be a badass. And I'm not really acting more than I'm just kind of following along with the script. So mm-hmm. Quite. that's my opinion on that. But mm-hmm. anyways, just because I said something doesn't mean it's universally true. And uh, that's pretty wrong. much... <laughs> not wrong walter you're just an asshole but yeah so it's fun to always uh legends of the fall was on netflix i don't know if it still is but i did watch it on there so there's a tip for you folks and i think that was it i i guess i couldn't remember everything else i watched there's a some tv shows but i don't want to mention oh i did watch a i watched nobody's fool which i love oh, i love it so much such a great movie it really is yeah, I think of Steve, who, by the way, will be our guest next week. We're going to mention Yay. my co-host on the Is It Safe podcast, another show that is connected to this in yeah. a way. Steve is a new co-host with me and Luke, for those of you who heard exciting. Luke before. Very exciting. And Steve will be on our show next week here for Cinema 9, and we'll reveal his pick at the end of the episode. But he really got me into Nobody's Fool, I think. I always think of Steve whenever I watch Nobody's Fool. It's funny how I think of one person specifically when I watch a movie, and that's one of them. Well, that makes sense. I mean, associations and whatnot. Um, <laughs> associations and whatnot. <laughs> yeah, it's a great movie, though. Uh, are you? Do you have other viewing picks? No, that's or fine. Was, was that, okay. So uh, I think that I subconsciously was just ripping through watching movies for a long time, so I'd have plenty to talk about for that segment. Because as soon as we stop the segment, I like my movie watching ground to a fucking halt. I have not watched hardly any movies. Really? they were connected i I didn't really realize it i don't think but like subconsciously there must have been because like i've hardly watched shit in terms of movies since we stopped keeping track and you know doing this segment um i i guess i was working on my podcast more the other one uh but you know what i have been doing i'll tell you what i have been taking a giant anti-anxiety pill uh every night and watching one or two episodes of brooklyn 99 i just love the fuck out of brooklyn 99 and i just watch it uh, almost every day and sometimes i'll pepper in the amazing spider-man tv show from like the 90s but mostly just been doing brooklyn 99 so wait the show is an anxiety pill or you need one to watch the show no, no, the show itself is the pill. Like, that's my anti-anxiety oh. medication. It, it, yeah. it soothes me. Yeah, it's like Seinfeld for me. Yeah, I've been, mm. I've been watching. I watched the whole series, and then I, I really rarely watched the, the first three seasons as much. I wasn't the biggest fan, but now I locked in on it, and I, I appreciate it more. So I yeah, get there, that. There, there's actually some of the best, like, most memorable episodes are actually in the first season. When I went and rewatched it, like, last year, I was like, oh, my God. Like, these are some, some real classics, and that's still going on in the first season. Oh, also, I learned this. There's one episode. I think it starts season two, and they decided to put vocals on the classic. Oh, boom, my boom, God. Boom, 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 it's boom, the boom. worst. Did you it's hear the, that? It's, it's like, like one ah! episode. Yeah, yeah it's, it's like only one, one. Yeah, and it's like the like how to how to ruin a song. Yeah. One. It was odd to hear that, but it did happen, and then I never heard it again on an intro to that show. Yeah, it's very strange. You know, very I've also strange. been watching Mad About You a little bit, and there's a lot of connections between <laughs> them because, you know, uh, Kramer shows up in Mad About You at one point. It's A oh. lot of it's directed by uh, Larry Charles, and mm-hmm. uh, I'm thinking that's where Larry Charles met um, Jeffrey – what's his name? Jeffrey Garner, Je- Gar- uh, dude from uh, Curb. Jeffrey, mm, Jeffrey from Curb. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, Jeff Garland. Garland. Yeah, I, mean, I knew it was wrong. Jeff Garland. So, like, he, he – shows up towards the end of the series too i'm like oh, oh okay there's all kinds of connections to that universe that's fun yeah it is fun anything else no that's it all hey cool i wanted to mention because we hadn't mentioned it well it is still newer we have a writer strike the wga mm-hmm. is on strike right now mm-hmm. and this one's gonna drag out for a while have you been paying attention to this at all or reading about it or do you not care yeah no i've been i've been, I've been following it i think it looks like it's going to be a stalemate for a while. And it really reminded me by digging into this writer strike. It's the WGA, the Writers Guild of America, and they have mm-hmm. about 12,000 members. And the fact that we have had shows shrink down, you know, eight episode seasons, six episode seasons. Mm-hmm. I didn't think about what a toll that was taking on writers. I don't, they were probably weren't getting, as, I know they weren't getting as paid as much. And yet, if they were, it was being spread out longer because there was only so many episodes compared to, you know, seasons of TV back in our heyday, 22 episodes, 23 yeah. episodes. That's no longer the case. Yeah. 
I was reading an interview with, I forget the guy's name, unfortunately, but he was the writer of an episode of The Bear on Hulu that Ooh. won, uh, I believe it won a, an Emmy. And he was talking about how when he wrote the episode, like his heat wasn't working in his apartment and the power wasn't really working in his apartment. So he literally wrote that in a, in a public library. And it's like, dude, that's just, and here the show like wins a Grammy or an, excuse me, an Emmy. And it's like, this is just, you know, I've never understood just the constant bullshit of, of this, the disrespect of the people that literally create the stories that, I mean, like there's nothing there without them. So like of all the people to disrespect, it just doesn't, it's never made sense that they'd be treated this way in their industry for so long. I've thought a lot about that relationship with CEOs or people who run studios and how mm. they probably take credit for, oh, I uh, I picked that guy. I picked that person for that show. But, I mean, right. that's all you did. The show would not yeah. exist at all, like you said, without right. the fucking writer. I told him to put that giant metal spider in there. That was my idea. <laughs> exactly. That's what we're dealing with here. And then they try to make the argument on the studio side. By the way, they're all aligned, apparently. They're called, like, the AM. PM or something. They got some name moniker for all the studios, mm -hmm. but yeah, you know, they make a shitload of money. CEOs make like one of them got two hundred fifty million dollar payout recently for Paramount, I think it was. And they're trying to say there's some writers over there who have massive deals, but those are like Shonda Rhimes for yeah. Netflix or Ryan Murphy, uh, the uh, Michael Schur who does The Good Place and Parks and, and Rec and some other Brooklyn Nine Nine. Oh yeah, exactly Brooklyn Nine Nine. Very good. Uh, those guys are un that's unique. The twelve thousand people in the guild, there's like yeah. twelve people like that. They're literally the only writers that like the everyday American can name. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, so like yes. of course they're getting good money. Not a yeah. good example. Well said. Well said. I'm I'm for it. I'm always with the union, not because uh, mm -hmm. I have to be a union man, but because it makes sense that people should just be treated fairly when there's more, more than enough money to go around. Fucking more than there is power in the union. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. Damn right. Yeah. We're not going to fall for the uh, modernization of what's happened in over the last 20 years of you know, right to work state is better for you. That's yeah. just not, it's not right true, folks. Fired. Right to get fired. State. Hey, yay, yay. <laughs> we're going to get fired. <laughs> well, we might get fired from the show. Who could say for sure? But on the Cinema Night podcast, we'd like to, yeah, we could fire ourselves because we're in charge here. But yeah. on this show today, we're going to dive into Princess Mononoke. It's time. Travis's selection. This is a film from 1997. Mm -hmm. And it's an anime film, which, you know, that's more outside my zone. I admit that freely. But I have to imagine, Travis, that you absolutely could recall when you first saw Princess Mononoke. You are correct, sir. I have a very specific memory of seeing this movie. Um, so it came out in 1997 in Japan. That's when Studio Ghibli released it there. But it wasn't released in U.S. theaters until October of 1999. So... Oh. And when that came out in theaters, me and my brother, Judd, who was recently, who we were just talking about in that Bad Religion episode of 93, 94. Me and my brother, Judd, grew up uh, not even knowing necessarily that we were big Studio Ghibli fans. Um, we were huge fans of the movie Valley of the, Nausicaa Valley of the Wind. And um, we loved a bunch of other anime stuff. We were huge Robotech fans and we watched, you know. <laughs> Appleseed and Akira, like all the classics. We watched a lot of that kind of shit. Um, and then 99 came around and my brother was in town from the Marines to get married as a 23-year-old man. I was 19. He, myself, and our friend Dave Horning, who would have been 21, you know, wild men in the, in the prime of their lives. It's time to go have our my brother's bachelor party. What does he want to do? He wants to go to... Um, Great Lakes Crossing, the fucking middle of you no, know, had to we had to like drive an hour and a half to get to this theater because it was the only theater that was playing Princess Mononoke, and that's what we went and did for his for like what would have been his bachelor party. The three of us went and saw this movie. <laughs> Funny, wow, I, yeah, what a raucous night that was. <laughs> Pretty wild. Someone had a soda. <laughs> Somebody had a coke. Somebody had a jolt. A jolt soda. <laughs> Yeah, there were some GGBs probably. I don't know. But uh, we had a good time. And I remember it very well, unlike many other good nights that I've had. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Well, it happens. You're only human. We're only human. I'm and only human. I'm sing to you now. And uh, in this oh, movie, yeah. there's some people are actually human. They're part human. They're part animal. A lot going on here. But I never saw this movie, so there's no need for me yeah, to tell you a story nice. about seeing this. Yeah, I never saw it. But I did watch it for the show. So I now have seen Princess Mononoke. Um, IMDb rating wise, we always rate, or we like to guess the rating for the IMDb rating. 
I have to assume this is a beloved film. The only question is, is it an eight or not? I'm going to say it's not. I'm going to say it's a 7.7. I want to say it's an eight. I'm going to say it's an eight. Okay. And you'd be surprised? Maybe not. 8.3. 8.3. All right. That's pretty high. I've I've picked a highly regarded film. (laughs) Yeah. Right, it is. That's a high. That's a high number. Eight point three out of ten. That usually is classic status. Plus oh, four hundred six thousand people have rated the film. That's an excellent 20. number. Yeah. yeah, it's in the. Uh, looks like the top fourteen hundred movies on IMDb according to how people rate them. So oh, okay, this is a lot. Big deal. I mean, there's been a lot of movies in history already. <laughs> so really, yeah. I have no idea. I can't fathom. But yeah, that's cool. Good for them. And then on the Rotten Tomato side, we take a look at the reviews, and. I will be curious to see how these go, especially for back in time, because it's an anime movie. It's from Japan, right? It's not a mainstream American movie. There'll be certain critics who see it, but there might be a lot of critics who didn't see it in the time to review it, I would guess. What do you think? I think that, uh, as I recall, this was received warmly in America. Um, I, I feel like there was, you know, by this point, this was this was right about the time America was starting to be like, okay, Miyazaki is a big deal because uh, he's been a big deal in Japan for a long time. But that's the director, uh, I, yeah, Hayao Miyazaki, the director. Um, I feel like this was like the movie where kind of they were where people were like starting to catch on a little bit more because you know stuff like My Neighbor Totoro had come out a long time ago, but by that point, by this point, they had been established as classics in the genre, so. It was like a returning king situation, I think. A return to innocence. Very musical episode today. (laughs) It just came right to my mind. I used to love walking around the house doing that. So that's like like Tibetan singers that never got paid a dime for that song. Really? Those background singers, yeah. That that was sampled from, that was like taken from a release that they did, a religious release or something that they did. Never made a dime off that song. Uh, why am I not surprised? Right. That's disappointing. Sorry that to ruin makes that me song not... for you. Well, no, I want to know the truth. Sucks. I yeah. I do not want to live in an ignorance is bliss situation. I prefer yeah. to know the truth. So thank that you. That could for be wrong, maybe not Tibetan, but it's definitely not American Indian like I thought for a long time. It's uh, something else. Hmm. There's someone else. That's fascinating. Well, on Rotten Tomatoes, Princess Mononoke's got a 93 from the critics, outstanding, and then a 94 from the audience. All right. Um, so again, like I think I said last week, I was pretty sure how I was going to feel about this. This was more to see how you felt about this. Ooh, we're going to find out. That's we're what we're doing the show. Uh, let's take a look at post reviews. So after the movie came out, like decades, because we often get mm-hmm. people who go back and review the movie in the 2010s. So Destin, Destin, we're hoping to get a Destin on this for sure. But Ann Hornaday from the Baltimore Sun. Hey, there she is. Your favorite. In no- yeah. Hey, Ann. In November. 2013 and said with a luminous attention to light water shadow and smoke miyazaki creates an epical epochal e-p-o-c-h epochal yeah epochal story born of history myth and shinto animism what is shinto animism so shinto is the one of the dominant religions of japan Oh. Um, the, the belief that uh, everything has a spirit of sorts, everything from the forest to a stone, an individual stone, um, which is a form of animism, which animism is essentially the same idea that the idea that like um, the, the, about the living force of nature and things. As far as I understand it. So this is actually like a lot of his stuff, Miyazaki stuff. This is a extremely religiously based movie. Interesting. It's not one okay. that we would necessarily recognize as Westerners. Well, I I definitely was on the spiritual tip, no doubt about it. Obviously, the, <laughs> yeah. I mean, like the, I guess I mean like specifically recognize the Shintoism, and I I guess. Or the oh, Shinto I would have known that. Oh yeah, you're right. Uh, Wesley Morris for the San Francisco Examiner back in 2000 said, "For an insight into precisely how stunning Hayao Miyazaki's rich animated epic Princess Mononoke is, you need only consider how little of it leaves you." Once you've left it, really sticks with you, according to Wesley. He found a roundabout way of saying that. I feel like, of course, he did. He's a writer, right? <laughs> yeah. Got to do his thing. A little yeah, purple rose his... there. Yeah, well, yeah. Uh, looking for Destin. There's a lot of reviews on this one. Obviously, it's a 
very well-known movie. Um, mm. Back in when this movie came out, Jay Hoberman of The Village Voice said, Princess Mononoke is a complex, superbly rendered, and wildly eccentric anime. Easy peasy. All right, so some pretty glowing reviews here. I, I mean, is, I, is there anyone that didn't like it? I'd be curious to read a Ooh. negative review. Okay, I got you covered on that one, Travis, here. It's the Cinema Night Podcast. We cover all angles, try to be fair to everybody as best we can. Maybe not every angle in the universe, but, I mean, you know, a lot of them. Wolves too big, didn't like. <laughs> Negative stars. <laughs> Talking pig, dislike. Uh, that's good, I like that. Oh, Roger Ebert saw this, and he said, Hayao Miyazaki is a great animator, and his Princess Mononoke is a great film. Very simple, so... Okay. Well. But as far as splats, uh, I'm trying to look for a legitimate splat. Here's one. Jay Boyer of the Orlando Sentinel in 2013, about 10 years ago, Jay said, Watching this film is often like observing a group of people playing an elaborate game for which you don't know the rules. What they're doing obviously has enormous meaning for them, but that meaning is mostly lost on outsiders. <laughs> what an asshole. I'm embarrassed <laughs> for him. I am too. <laughs> fuck Joe. Fuck Jay Boyard, the Orlando Sentinel. That is so like ethnocentric. It, uh, yeah. It's, uh. It sounds like someone who's never seen a film that wasn't made in the U.S., Canada, or, or England. <laughs> exactly. Just it comes from another land, and we cannot relate to these people. Ridiculous. <laughs> right? Our, it's, 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 give me more. I'm, I want more. <laughs> uh, Stephen Hunter of the Washington Post uh, yeah, about 10 years ago, 2013 wow. he said, Miyazaki's hordes wait, I just read this one, didn't I? Oh no, I didn't. Miyazaki's hordes of animators haven't penetrated beyond the skin. The moving creatures feel inarticulate and jerky almost weightless, particularly when played against painterly background mats M-A-T-T-E-S, of course Of course well, So he's got, had, okay I'm I don't agree, but it's certainly a more like thoughtful critique than what the other dude said. Yeah, like it, it's sensible at least, even if you don't yeah. agree. But what do you think of the animation of this movie now? Because looking at it, for me, I did think like, wow, this movie's kind of dated. Well, I mean, it's 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 hand painted. You know, every 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 moment that you're looking at is hand painted. Well, that's that's just how Studio Ghibli works. Um, so, and I'm really really used to the style because again, I grew up watching his stuff. So to me, it doesn't really feel dated. It just feels like Studio Ghibli. Oh, it it sometimes looks gorgeous and absolutely immaculate, but then there's sometimes I'm like, eh, this kind of looks a little not cheesy, but uh, there's a sacrifice of detail a tad. I don't know how much more detail I always need. Uh, it's not a huge deal for me for the overall movie because it has little to do with it, and it does. There's a lot of landscapes that look gorgeous, and you get to see that gross uh, <laughs> mobile that Billy Bob Thornton's monk character has on his face. That's really well done, and or you know, it's very yeah, clear. It's a good looking boil. Yeah, it is. And so we should mention that yes, the you know English version of this is a Japanese movie, but they did a dub with and Billy Crudup. Man, I love Billy yeah. Crudup. I didn't, I didn't know I was getting Billy Crudup in this, so that I gotta admit freely that really brought me more into this movie almost immediately. I texted you that. He was oh shit well then you know my i'm just so busy i don't pay attention to anything i'm sorry the busiest man in the world yeah okay. i know i'm more busy than anybody could ever right, be right but, i only had okay sorry never mind but We're billy crudup yeah i didn't know billy crudup show up billy crudup's buttock shows up uh and he's got that he's got that lovely voice please i, I love that like the character ashitaka is always like please i don't want to hurt you <laughs> and then he like takes the guy's head off <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, he will yell like, I don't know. But like, yeah, <laughs> that's it. You're right. Very, very chill. But yeah, we got Billy Crudup. We got Billy Bob Thornton. We got Claire Danes. We got Jillian Anderson in this thing. We got, uh, um, who am I forgetting? Mini, Mini Driver. Driver, of course. And then she we have Lady Iboshi. Yep. And we got an animated version of Dennis Franz in there. I don't know if you saw him. I did not see that <laughs> shit. One of, really? one of the one of the village one of like the village people in Iron Town looks straight up exactly like Dennis. Franz. Oh, I know who you're talking about. Yeah, yeah, that guy. Yep. <laughs> of course, you know who I'm talking about. He's the only motherfucker that looks like Dennis Franz. <laughs> <laughs> as soon as just now, I see it. Also, yeah. I mean, I don't know why this guy doesn't do more voiceover work, but Keith David as a Koto, oh, the the uh, very respected leader of the Boars. 
and and the narrator. He does the narration of the film too. And uh, that's true. Does, but like, he does a fair really, I mean, he was Spawn in the animated series, um, which I guess was a while ago now. But he has he's done <laughs> some. Been a minute. Been a minute. But yeah, no, he's 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 great in this. Yeah, so you got a bunch of people you recognize as legitimate actors working in Hollywood 25 years ago, even still today. Jada Pickett Smith is in this as well. Oh, of course, yep. As the uh, Toki. And yeah, yeah. She's got a lot of sass, a lot of sassitude coming out of her. I love Toki. She was a lot of fun. Every time she talked, this, this movie, this movie is interesting because it really doesn't. It's first off, it's not a part of the Hollywood studio system. So no. you could already see immediately what the studios do to movies even if they're great movies they a lot of them still end up fitting this typical kind of template that is set up and this movie it circumvents a lot of conventions and expectations mm. and tropes related yeah. to film and really society and how we work together the you know, the women who were taken from brothels by lady obashi to to work in the iron factory mm -hmm. and they are in charge. The men are subjugated to them in a way, right? I mean, it's not clearly defined that way, but they certainly have a lot yeah. more power in this film. Which I cannot tell exactly if that's supposed to be a good thing or a bad thing. Right! Because you look at Lady Hibashi, right? She hangs out with lepers and prostitutes. Does that remind you of anyone? She comes from the West, and she, <laughs> and she brings bullets and metal, right? I mean, this like it's not subtle. <laughs> oh, wow. Oh, wow. I didn't even think about that because my first viewing, you know, I just get overwhelmed. Wow. Sure. Sure. Right. And I've had years to contemplate that. But like you think like, right, she's from the West. She brings metal bullets and like and and women are subverting like the social norms and like emasculating the men. And I think that like in some ways we're supposed to be like titillated by that and entertained by it and be OK with it. But also, I'm not sure. If we are, how much? You know, I mean, I'm not, I'm not saying that that's the main message, but you know what I mean. It's like I get mixed feelings about it, or that's I sense mixed messages. Yeah, it makes all the sense to me. I'm glad you brought that point up. There's clearly you got a lot of different sex in this movie. S e c t s with mm -hmm. you got uh, Ishitaka who leaves his tribe, which is a stupid rule. I mean, we just have to. You're no longer. We just have to get rid of you. We can never say farewell they can't even come out and say bye oh my god i, mean, I know but i think that's really harsh. important because i think ashitaka he represents someone who respects tradition whether he agrees with it or not he doesn't bat an eye he doesn't shed a tear he's completely stoic about it he doesn't question he's just like i understand the rules this is tradition i will follow it and that's like him throughout the whole movie yeah, this guy, Ashitaka, has an incredible, incredible sense of integrity and discipline. He's like I a mean, superhero. He, he's like oh, Superman. yeah, but he's like, yeah, but like in a way that you don't always see. There, there's, does he have faults? I mean, what, do you, what faults do you see in the character of Ashitaka? What are his or well, shortcomings, I guess? I mean, he's, he's, he is in, inclined towards anger and violence at times. Now, he, he, ordinarily is able to funnel that in healthy ways. He's the kind of guy that like he hears that there's some sort of danger in the village. He's going to seek it out, but still he's also like kind of a violent minded person, which we see that because every time he uses, every time he gets angry, that's when he gets like stronger. And, mm -hmm. uh, and I think that's saying a lot about like, you know, anger can be a gift to, to quote Zach De La Roca, but anger is a gift. Of course. So, but at the same time, like it can consume you. It can literally kill you uh, in certain ways. And I think that so, yeah, I think he is a flawed character. He's a little he's a little Boy Scouty, but um, he, he does have moments in him where he is uh, inclined towards violence. Even when his sister comes out, which she's not supposed to do to say goodbye to him mm -hmm. because he's been. You know, he went to battle with the boar who had the demon, and he got touched by it. And I, I had a little bit of an issue here with how long this demon curse takes to overtake him. Everyone's talking about, you're going to die a terrible death, but he seems to be just hanging out doing fine for most of the movie, frankly. Well, I think it's like every time he gets angrier, it gets worse. So he's trying to keep, that's partly why he's so zen about things, because he's trying not to get upset. Oh, well, I, I, I think about what that one critics said about what the rules are in this movie mm -hmm. let's see i would say yeah maybe uh you, you, you know they have these layouts of here's how this works and here's how the forest spirit works and here's how we work here over there mm -hmm. but the and i guess i don't really care but yeah they kind of seem to play a little bit fast and loose with like the rules of how everything works in this film but it's not a big deal but it 
it's noticeable to me. That's fair. I mean, it, you know, I guess it's um, you, they can always fall back on the it's mystic, it's mystical, you know, it's, <laughs> you know, it's, it's beyond our comprehension, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. I have a question yeah, for you. Oh, I'm sorry. Oh yeah, ahead. bring it. Go ahead. No, please. Uh, on a scale of one to ten, how hard did you laugh when you finally saw the the forest spirit's true face, like his human face? <laughs> I, I didn't laugh at all. I gotta be you honest. Didn't laugh at all. I was convinced yeah. that you would just find him hilarious, but I guess I was wrong. <laughs> I, I was uh I was engrossed in the movie. I will say yeah, this about the movie. It really for the moment it starts, you're like, okay, what the hell's going on? Uh who's Princess Mononoke? Why is this film called Princess Mononoke for a while? I'm like, mm-hmm. I don't understand the title of this film. Because she doesn't really show up for like 45 minutes or yeah, roughly. Yeah. yeah. And then she goes by San half the time, anyways. Yeah, exactly. She's with the wolf people. She's part human, part wolf. So Mononoke is a vengeful spirit. Um, That's like the Japanese word for vengeful spirit. Kind of like, remember that movie, The Grudge? Yeah. Uh, Horror movie, The Grudge? So that was a Mononoke. And so she she is supposed to be like, remember, she's supposed to be like formerly human. I think she might be dead. I'm not really sure exactly what's going on (laughs) with all of that. See? But yeah, it's, it's a little unclear. Because uh, they say that she was once human, but she, but yeah, Mononoke is like a vengeful spirit. So that's kind of what she's representing, like the vengeful spirit of the forest or something. Yeah. And they, if they kill the forest spirit, she could be a human again or something, too. That's mentioned. Yeah. Cool. So, yeah. Cool. Great. That's awesome. Whatever. <laughs> Clearly, uh, that there are multiple groups here. So you got yes. Ishitaka coming. He comes from the West, right? Did I get that right? Uh, no. Ishitaka, They're West. Uh, I thought he came from the East. No, he comes from the East. It's, okay, it's well, yeah, no, he's comes from the far, far east, and it's uh, Lady Lady Hagoshi comes from the west. Lady Hagoshi comes from the west. Hiboshi, okay, yeah, Lady Hagoshi comes from the west. So also his group of people, they people think the that Amishi they died off five hundred years ago. That's what the yeah. rumor is when he first meets Billy Bob Thornton's bozo monk character. Which I got to tell you, man, I like Billy Bob Thornton as an actor, but I don't know why they chose him for this film. I think because it was nineteen ninety nine, and like he was willing to do it. Because oh, well, that makes sense. Yeah, I, I I kind of agree with you. Like, out of all of the voiceover work in the film, his is the most. I feel like I, I can hear him reading off a page a little bit. Yes, Claire Thank Danes you. a little bit too. I think she struggles a little bit. I think she does okay, but yeah, with him especially, it's like it feels rushed in a lot of places. Yeah, and yeah. it's just his his draw with his accent a bit. It just it just takes me out a little bit more than that. No other voices. The voice work in this, I think, is. I think it's really, really good. I, I don't think you point, at least I didn't point anybody yeah. else out there. I said, wow, this is this is terrible. Or it's taking me out of the movie. Everybody fits their parts in a way where they're very calm or whether it's the uh, the gorillas as well, who mm-hmm. they're a, oh, yeah. who are, they can't fight apparently. They're, they're afraid they'll run away. They're afraid of wolves. Why are, why are they afraid of wolves? Uh, wolves have teeth. I don't know. But while we're on the subject <laughs> of the, of the, uh, of the voiceover this movie actually has my favorite voiceover line ever like the most i think the most effective line in a movie that's a voiceover and also the least effective line i've ever heard in a movie i swear to god i've always felt this way when and it's and it's from like these really like tertiary characters when ashitaka has to leave and they like they the old lady like rolls the bones and like they're like in that like hut area and like all the elders are surrounding and, like that one elder is like talking about like how fucked up everything's been he's like sometimes i think the gods are laughing at us I fucking I, I think that whoever that dude is kills it. That delivery is amazing. And then at the end of the movie, when the other dude's like, "I didn't know this forest spirit made the flowers grow." <laughs> like every time, I'm like, "Oh my god!" He said it. I hate it so much. It's the worst delivery ever. It's so yeah. unconvincing. <laughs> I can see that. There's also voices put to a lot of background characters. They're not just background characters. They actually get to say things too, which I think to mm-hmm. me improves the. Uh, just improves the story a little bit. It's like, oh, everyone's in play here. It's not just a bunch of background set pieces. I dug that they gave a lot of voices to the most uh, innocuous or pointless characters, yeah. I would say. Yeah, well, the movie's not afraid to be complicated. To get back to your point about sects, like there's that one moment where Lady Hiboshi is is trying to hunt down the, the forest spirit, but also like the emperor, like the, some other lord has come up on it, but there's also like the emperor who's, you know, there's like all these different oh, yeah. factions. Asano. Yeah, there's yeah, all the- these factions, and sometimes we don't even see the factions. We're just aware of them, which makes sense because it's kind of like hearkening back to that that age, that era in Japanese history when they were still organizing. Yeah, I do think as a typical American citizen that I am, 
if I don't have a lot of understanding of the history of Japan and the samurai culture, which is a part of this, I admit that I really don't. It's it's a weak spot in my, uh, even though I got a degree in history from a college, <laughs> but well, I do admit it's about, a weak spot for me. Yeah, but I mean, you didn't you didn't major in Japanese history, which is, but also I feel like for me, um, I don't, I didn't know a lot of this stuff when I first saw it either, but, and I kind of took it as fantasy, which a lot of it is fantasy mixed with, you know, based in some sort of religious belief or whatever. Um, but I still, you know, it, if you take it at its face value, it's still pretty to look at and entertaining. Yeah. Oh, it totally is. I, there's, I, I want to know more things. There's just stuff that made me, and maybe that's a good thing. The movie made me think about, huh, what's the background on this historically? Uh, maybe this would yeah. make more sense to me if I could look into it. And I don't mind doing that. That's to me, that's interesting. I get to learn. I get to expand my knowledge base. That's a positive for me. It's not a negative. Yeah, that's one of the reasons why I wanted to bring in more international film, which we'll get to that again later in the episode, of course, uh, when we talk about next week. <laughs> but, yeah! Uh, it, it is, It is. I mean, it, like you already alluded to it, the, the fact that this uh, avoids studio system kind of conventionalities uh, is, is one of the things. And, and also, the movie... For instance, the forest spirit, when he lets the the two, you know, he lets the giant boar and he lets the giant wolf both die. I forget their name, Morrow, and I forget the, uh, uh, the he, he like kills both of them rather than saving them. Or and he the saves Ashitaka, yeah, and then he saves Ashitaka, but he doesn't like take away the curse. There's so much there, like um, that's not satisfying for a viewer intentionally. So. Right, like nobody wins, nobody loses by the end of it. Like Forest Spirit's still around, but he's also gone. It's all so fucking ambiguous, and it's just like you got to live in this. And that's and, life too. Yeah, and San and Ashitaka are going to live apart. Like they're going to be together, but apart. Like it's all like, <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, he's got this. Ishitaka has this hardcore, almost dedication to Lady Iboshi in a way. It seems like he's more in love with her, frankly, than uh, he is with San, but. Why? I think he Go recognizes ahead. that he's a human and can never be, be part of the forest. So that's he'll fair. Be as close as he can. No, you put it like that. That makes sense to me. Uh, but why? So why is it only boars are turning into demon? Is there something about boars? Because we have the opening scene where the boar is a demon filled guy with that iron. He was shot. He was shot ball. with the yeah. the iron ball that uh, Dude, comes how about from Lady Boshi's uh, guns. How about when Billy Bob Thornton's character Jigo is like holding it in his chopsticks and then he finds out that it was inside of a the, a demon and he like gives it yeah. back to him and starts using the chopsticks to continue eating every time i'm like that's so gross what are you doing jigo I'm i thought sorry. that was gonna come back to him and like kill him like oh dude you can't you you put that in your, your it's your chopsticks you put it in your mouth what it's a demon thing yeah, yeah. sorry right, where were you there. going with that i'm sorry i got distracted so why why is it that only these two boars oh. turn into demons because they got well, shot because the wolf got shot and she was turning into a demon, like she was. She but I thought she only was because she got in contact with the Koto, the boar later of the movie. No, she even before that, she she says that um, she when she remember like that meeting she has with Ashitaka when Ashitaka's finally come out of his coma when he's been shot and she's like on that cliff face on top. And she'll she tells, say she'll kill him the next day if she's still right, there. Yeah, right. So she tells him there that she's got the the bullet inside of her and it's going to change her and kill her and turn her into a demon. So she she's talking about it at that point. So. Um, and, and then also San, when she's on the snout of of the boar, um, yeah. she starts to turn into a demon as well. So, I mean, That's you're true. right. There's there does seem to be a preponderance of demons that are, uh, you know, it's like why you've got you've got one boar. Why not? I guess because. Uh, it's That's why the allies came from a far distance, because they're boars, too. But yeah, it would have been kind of fun to see a different animal, I guess. But I get your point. It makes sense to me while the first boar in the opening scene is a demon. I got that. Yeah. For Koto, though, he's on his way. He's beat up badly. The boars, by the way, the boars are a great representation of stubborn groups that, mm -hmm. to their own detriment, go about their business in a way that will just only inflict pain and resolve nothing for them at all. That's a... Yeah. Right. Great representation of a lot of things, I think. Yeah, Koto says, you know, the humans will remember it. It's like, well, one or two generations might. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but he's on his way. He's beat up badly. The boars have been slaughtered. He's on his way up to the forest spirit, to the center of the forest place where everything wonderful happens. Mm -hmm. And then he starts turning into a demon. I thought the whole point was, oh, I just want to still live. I, I just didn't understand exactly why he turned into a demon at that moment. But if it is only because he got shot by an iron yeah. ball, then I get that. So. 
I think it. I think it's this getting shot with the iron ball and probably some combination of uh, giving into rage to some degree. Oh yeah. See, that's okay. Again, as a first time viewer, there's just a lot to take in. So I'm, I'm just you're the guy here. That's why I'm asking you because yeah. you've had the well, experience. Yeah. Again, only because I've seen it so many times. Like someday exactly. you'll have the same insights, Mike, because you're going to watch it every year for the rest of your life, probably yeah. too. <laughs> we'll find out soon. We'll find out. Uh, <laughs> But one of the biggest things that came to me while I watched this film, and mm -hmm. it just stuck right in my face, is that you love this movie because you're an animal lover. And this movie is heavy on, like, humans are scumbags and the animals <laughs> are getting screwed by humans. I just, I just really see you and your love for animals in this film in a major way. And I wonder if it even was, like, a, a, a place or source of inspiration for you long ago. I'm, I'm curious. Oh, that actually reminds me of what I should have said for my uh, quarantine viewing picks. I did watch uh, Guardians of the Galaxy 3. Uh, yeah. Talk about, a, talk about a movie that uh, loves animals and is all about animal, like, supporting animal rights and that kind of stuff. Um, yeah, I guess that's part of it for me, you know? Um, and I say that, you know, I, I don't know how good an animal lover I am. I do eat a lot of turkey and chicken, but yeah, I think you have a strong affinity, but maybe it's just for your animals that you get close I, with. I don't know. But. No, I, I do. I, lo I love animals. I prefer animals to humans. I always have. <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, that's probably part of the allure for this, for me. And, and like, and again, also, like I, I, I mentioned earlier, I grew up on a similar, a different movie. Yes, a similar movie called Valley of the Wind, the movie that I, I believe that he did before this one, but I'm not sure. There may have been some stuff in between. But this movie and that movie are incredibly similar. Um, that movie, instead of a forest, it's a barren desert. Instead of giant mammals, it's giant insects. Oh. And other than that, there's a lot of really similar things. So in, in a way, I was, I've been primed since birth to like this movie. <laughs> been priming you up boy since birth now's your time that's right but it's a it's heavy-handed is not even fair it's just straight up like hey there was a time before our current existence where the humans already destroyed everything when animals weren't just dumb beasts as they say like i yeah. think dakota talks about uh, one day we'll just be dumb beasts that they eat for meat or just yeah. for hunting H hunting which is, for game yeah, yeah. exactly <laughs> which is unfortunately a really how things Reality. worked out yep. if animals were like this once upon a time it's a fun fantasy i dig it i i love the fantastical nature of this movie with these animals being gods they're not just animals they're gods yeah yeah and they have a lot of power but they also have a lot of attitude and it's mm -hmm. funny because you know there's a lot of talk especially in ancient history and maybe not as much today about vengeful gods or vengeful god and you see a lot of that in this movie the gods are not like you know, all knowing and all kind, generous beings. It's I dig that about this movie. Yeah, no, I I I agree. Um, I lost my thread there. Whatever I was going to say. Oh yeah. Um, to get to your point, like you're talking about how like it, a long time ago, and there th of course this movie takes place like hundreds, if not like a thousand years ago or something. But I also feel like it's trying to make a point about modern Japan or more modern Japan because to me. When the forest spirit finally, you know, we, we give you back your head. Um, <laughs> when, he, <laughs> when he finally reunites with his head and like splashes down on Iron Town and everything else and like fucks everything up in that beautiful moment where like you slowly see the growth start to come back, you know, it's like it's an atom bomb. It's a fucking nuclear bomb in nature's oh, form. Right? Great call. Right. And, and the rebirth of that and how things can regrow from that. And, and as devastating as it is, we can come back from this. I'm like, oh, man. I, and I never got that. I mean, I've seen this many times, but I didn't get that until this current this recent viewing. That's fantastic. I, I, well done. Yeah, that makes a ton of sense. Doesn't it? There's, yeah, there's a lot of messages in this movie. There's a lot of symbolism and just, you know, metaphors going on. I really love that part of the film as well because there's so much to dig into and kind of i don't ponder even ponder in your own existence about how we operate today how do i operate as an individual in mm -hmm. terms of my relationship to nature i mean this film reminds me i'm not saying it because it came from asia but it does remind me of the movie we watched that you you maybe watched the south korean movie right or the korean the film? whale yeah, the whaling yeah yeah i i 
I just couldn't help but find a few because there was nature. There's a there's a lot of nature. That's specifically why I felt the connection and a lot of points being made about humans and the relationship to nature in both films. And well, that's animism again. That's that that's that Asian folk religion stuff coming into both movies that you're picking yeah. up on. That makes all the sense then. Okay, cool. Yeah, that's it makes it's, yeah, it's actually a super uh, suitable comparison. I did think I felt like the score uh, sounded very Bravehearty at times. I have oh, to admit. you know yeah. what? I love this score so much, but the second oh, good. you said the second you said Braveheart, oh shit! I think you're onto something there. <laughs> I was trying to think. It's only certain parts when it swells in certain sections yeah, of it. I'm like God, yeah. that's, that does sound there, close to it. There may be some inspiration there I, I really do love the score it's it, it's the definition of sweeping and when you <laughs> see it with like these giant painted vistas that are like the the detail of like seeing the grass sway and like these tiny birds flying and like you know the clouds in the mountains and shit it's very very effective to me now i do remember a time that i watched this on acid with a bunch of friends and we Ooh. just made fun of it the whole time so i don't know if it lends itself to that experience um <laughs> I don't know but, if it does. <laughs> yeah, but ordinarily, I find it very, very moving. <laughs> I wonder what Terrence Blanchard would have done with this score. Oh, he would have fucked it up. We know that. <laughs> he would have infused it with more horn. <laughs> Actually, I gotta say, I think I have a great idea for a YouTube channel. Just redoing all movie scores, except you put Terrence, Terrence Blanchard music in there. That would, I think, that could be funny. Need more brass. More brass. Yeah. <laughs> Turn it up louder! I can't hear you. More maudlin. More brass. <laughs> uh, well, what All else right. i'm sure there's other things i've missed i mean you're the pro here well um let's see what else did we did we miss anything else um i mean i'm sure there's a ton of shit that we've missed you know because it's every fucking scene seems to be loaded with all kinds of imagery and references that you know that you're not necessarily going to get i certainly am not going to get um but no, I think that we pretty much, I think we covered it as much as we can. Clearly there's, there's, there's this wrestling going on in the film with industrialization and progress and what quote unquote progress really means, what the cost of that is. Can it live in balance with our old ways, with nature, with, you know, et cetera. And is it inherently bad? Can we live with it? Uh, you know, I think it does a really good job of, of addressing some of the most basic questions about society, society, there's that word, but it really, society. society. I do really think it, that's um, it's, it, it's able to really get the gears turning on these kinds of issues. Yeah. That the relationship that humans have here just to themselves, because not only the humans are, in a battle with nature and the gods of the forest, but they're also fighting amongst themselves mm -hmm. as well. Mm -hmm. And there's just so many examples in Princess Mononoke of where humans have these motivations and they want to have power, control, greed. They also want to help one another at certain times. It depends which characters you're talking about here. Yeah. But I think one of the real benefits of this movie, one of the pluses for Princess Mononoke is that, that, these people have their desires and you know like lady aboshi she has her desires to help people but at the same time she's also you know doing some cruel stuff she shoots the head off of the forest spirits she really does it and mm -hmm. this is what life is like you know characters are not just all one way like oh that character's like that you know kramer is kramer on seinfeld that's just how he is <laughs> no there's all kinds of different yeah. moments and uh questions that we raise to ourselves about our attitudes related to various topics whatever they may be and our relationships get dictated by how we perceive the world and this movie to me is a really really strong example of how you can write and make a quality film that could be it could be live action too it doesn't matter if it's anime or live action <laughs> and you can have characters who show you various parts of themselves simultaneously and not necessarily learning lessons from it either right away sure no i think you make a great point i mean the animation and the and the voiceover work and all that stuff i'm sure that all end up obviously the story uh the, the plot itself all goes a long way towards i think making this a classic film but it's the nuance of each individual character that makes any film stronger. You think of the stuff that people really love. Usually those characters are, 
pretty dang complex. And I think I think uh, Lady Hiboshi is a really good example of that. Um, she is yeah. not all one thing. Sometimes she's blinded by her own avarice and her own uh, ambition. And other times she is like genuinely caring about people, which caring for the, the world's most cheerful lepers, I guess. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> We're okay. the happy lepers. <laughs> We're gonna do a dance now. <laughs> yeah. That's true. Yeah. Well, she she did a lot for them. She did a lot for the women there, and then at the same time, she's cruel to others. And you see it from the beginning too, when they're trying to take their rice up the mountain with the mm -hmm. oxen, and they lose their people. That's how Shitaka gets involved with them. And yeah. when he brings the two injured men back to Iron Town, Lady Eboshi just welcomes him in. Like he, she doesn't even. I think twice she just gives all of her secrets and opens herself up to Ashitaka immediately. Mm -hmm. And that's just not something I think if this was done by different writers or a different type of project group entirely, I don't think that would have happened. You're right. She, she'd be more two dimensional, um, more like ominous. Yeah. 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 Well, should we do our final thoughts here? Is there anything else you wanted to? No, I, yeah, that's fine. We can do our final thoughts. Go ahead. You're the pro. So, uh, yeah, I, I truly love this movie. I mentioned that it literally has one of my favorite deliveries and voiceover work in any film um, with I think the gods are laughing at us. It also has one of my favorite images in all of film, animated or otherwise, which is the, the footsteps, especially like the second time you see them in, shrouded in blackness, the footsteps of the forest spirit, how it steps down. And with every step, you get this vegetation grows up and then dies. It, it raises and, and falls with each step. I just love the imagery of that. And to me, like that's the kind of stuff that makes this movie, this that makes this movie so rich and rewarding. It's just like thoughtful and ponderous and beautiful and, uh, you know, it, it has things to say about important stuff. I, you know, I, I grasp at uh, how how easily I can possibly put into words the magnitude of this film. But I really do think that it is a masterpiece and I love it. And it absolutely holds up. Not surprising there. Yeah, it holds yeah. up for Travis. I never saw this movie as my first watch. Uh, I respect anime. I just don't watch a lot of it. But I've always been like, oh, that's cool. Yeah, go ahead. Do your thing. Anime. Sweet. Sure. Yeah. But for the moment the movie got turned on, I was really locked in on it. I was engrossed by it for a way I'm not even sure why, but I was even standing up watching it like the first 15 minutes. I'm like, why am I standing here so close to the television? I gotta lay down. I got a bed you right were, here. You, you were intent. That's great. Yeah, it was weird. I was like, what, you, what am I doing? So <laughs> I readjusted. I, I got into the bed and watched it. Good, but good. Um, there are fun characters interesting characters i love the animals in this and like you know, i didn't even mention uh, uh was it kyle or what's kale what's the the red antelope deery thing that uh oh yeah yeah cool i almost named yeah, cool. my dog remember rollo rollo yeah. was very close to being named yeah cool it just didn't really roll ah. off the tongue so i i went with a different 1997 movie reference uh la confidential but Good he was call. very very close to being named yeah cool yeah, cool. I love you. Cool. It's a. It's fun to see. Uh, it's just different. Hey, he's riding a antelope instead of a horse. Cool. That's fun. Yeah. It's a fun little thing for the beginning. And he yeah, also he's a very cool antelope. He's very very. Oh chill. yeah, so chill. When San takes the stuff off of him and says, "Yeah, cool. You're free. You go do whatever you want." Yeah, cool. Stays right by, not because he has to, but because he wants to stay by Ashitaka's yeah. side. And also, is... I'm like, "Fuck you, San. Do that with your own pet." <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, what are you doing? Come on, dude. Fuck <laughs> off. But that's just another lovely moment. It is. It's beautiful. The relationship between animals and humans. And they're just beings. And mm -hmm. there's a lot of assumptions. There would be, a, you would assume that when that moment happened, that you're free, you're cool. That, yeah, yeah, you're cool. And finally run away and say, fuck that guy. I'm free, finally. <laughs> but no, that's not what you're cool was there because of the relationship they had there was yes. never you never got that feeling from yakul and ashitaka's relationship that it was oh master and you're the servant or you know mm -hmm. i am the person over you no they work together they both need each other to survive and the way ashitaka go ashitaka goes back to get yakul and like limp him alongside with him when, when he refuses to stay i love that so much yeah that's beautiful that's fantastic it says so much about how we view relationships between various types of species 
And that's just one example. There's a lot of examples of so much to consume here in this film. And I, I, I could nitpick a few things that I mentioned, like, you know, how all the rules work within, but it's a fantastical story. It's an anime adventure, fantastical adventure. <laughs> and it's, it's fun. It's interesting. You're always trying to, especially the first time viewer, you're like, wow, what's happening? I was, where's this going to go? What's happening next? Which creature's going to show up? And you'll never get that back, obviously. Once you watch a movie for the first time, you can never watch it again for the first time, which you know. But this movie totally holds up. I really enjoyed it. It's a great right. film. I really, really dug it, man. I'd, I'd like, I want to watch it again and see if what I can gather from the second viewing so I can take it in more because there's so much to absorb. I mean, this movie is, what, 220? Two and a half hours? Yeah, it's, it's about two and a half. It's a little long. But that's fine, though. I, yeah. I'm fine with that. I didn't think like, oh, I never thought, honestly, as a first-time viewer in any part of the film that it dragged. I truly yeah. didn't. It doesn't. It doesn't sag at any point. Like you're ready for it to keep going. But it, I fucking love that you liked it. That just, it seems like you loved it. Like I was. I was prepared for like. A, yeah, I guess it holds up. It's you know I recognize the art or whatever. But that you want to <laughs> that you want to watch it again. That makes me really happy. And in fact, if you watch it again and enjoy it, you should go uh, and watch Spirited Away after that. That's what I realized. I've, now there's so much more for me to consume in this realm. So I'm excited. <laughs> I'm glad you brought this to the table. And I'm all right. I mean, I've always heard about. A lot of other anime movies, of course, like Akira and Cowboy Bebop, but uh, this mm -hmm. one is beautiful. It's a fantastic film. I'm glad you liked it, man. I, it is a fantastic film, but I'm I'm glad you appreciate it. It'd be hard not to, I think. I'd, unless, of course, you're made of stone and you hate animals. That can be a problem. <laughs> Which I didn't think any of that about you. I thought that maybe you would find it a little weird and that you wouldn't connect to it because it's like cartoons and that's not normally your thing um but uh you did which is great i did i'm glad you chose it it's an excellent film if you've never seen it i don't know why you're listening to this right now yeah, actually yeah. i assume that'd be weird you've yeah you you're hearing this you've seen <laughs> princess mononoke i hope so watch it again if it's been a minute it's an excellent film fucking a fucking a all right well that's week we're gonna have on steve g from the is a safe talk show he's a co-host with me over there he's also well, first and foremost steve is an old friend of ours so we should mm. mention that we've known him since yes. like 1995 it's been a long time Oof, and, longer, maybe. yeah who knows i mean we uh relationships will vary but he's a really entertaining very knowledgeable chap and we look forward to having him on next week here cinema nine pod at gmail.com send us an email if you found anything interesting about princess mononoke also send us an email if you have any thoughts about how we do the show like we talked about we just did a couple of quarantine viewing picks today we got rid of it for a minute do you like that do you not like that your feedback really does matter we don't want to be you know locked in chains and committed to whatever you guys tell us but your feedback really does give us some perspective it does it's true see it's true travis said so all right so next week travis uh what is the movie we're doing so steve guile has picked for us another film from Asia. Um, I believe it's a Hong Kong film, right? Asia. I want to say. I know it stars Tony Leung. And it's called uh, 2046. Right? Okay. Yeah, I think so. I honestly had not heard of this film until today. So I'm ready to dig in. It's a highly respected film. And, and Steve is a highly respected film goer. So I'm sure he picked something of interest. Uh, and I've seen Tony Leung in some stuff, mostly, you know, Shang-Chi. Um, so I'm ready to see huh. him and uh, do, you know, he's a pretty well-respected actor. So I'm ready to see it. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, Steve has a lot of movie-going experience. And he also... Steve? Steve Coogan. <laughs> he wanted to follow the letter of the law of this show, which... When you hear other people say it, because we're the hosts, it doesn't matter what we say, because we do the show. But when people who listen to the show, they say to them, the definition of the show is picking a movie that you haven't seen in a long time. That's what our show, that's what Steve said. It really is about it. He's like, I don't want to just pick premise. some movie that, yeah, I don't want to pick some movie I could just gush over. I mean, obviously, Travis loves I Princess Mononoke, yes, but I he he knew I never saw it. So it was a perspective to see, hey, what did this guy think of this film? I'm curious. That's one way to do it. But I'm, I'm also, glad that Steve said that. Yeah, I'm also deliberately trying to bring on like um, some stuff from some areas that we haven't done before. But uh, did Steve think that the two of us had seen this movie before, 2046? Definitely. He, no, not at all. He just, okay. he said, 
yeah, I could pick a bunch of films that I could think of that, you know, are just, I could gush over, but I want to pick something that I'm, you know, not sure how I feel about it. It's been a long time since I've seen it. So for him, it's going to be a return to a movie that he saw once upon a time. But for you right. and I, it's going to be a whole brand new experience. I'm looking forward to it. And we'll do that in a week or maybe two weeks, maybe two months <laughs> and a day, six years. Oh, I definitely deserve that. Hopefully we'll do it next Thursday. Hopefully. I have con- See, I've qualifier in there. Hopefully. God, fictitious God willing. We'll be able to. Maybe the forest spirit could help me out, and we can yes. make sure to get the show on time. The, but. the deer with a human face and a weird-ass <laughs> human face. It is It is a funny face. I mean, like, it really is. I didn't laugh out loud, but I was like, oh, that's not what I was expecting. It no. was a surprise. <laughs> so funny. <laughs> I, I, I love him. He is majestic, but not yeah. like a, not a full-on view. Like, only, only in profile is he majestic. <laughs> Yeah, I I didn't realize they were baiting us into like we're gonna you're gonna see a face eventually either. I, I really was too overwhelmed I think by the movie to understand that, but now yeah. I understand that yeah. makes sense. Weird face. All right, weird guys. All right, thanks so much everybody. Cinema iPod gmail.com. That's gonna do it for this episode, Travis. Excellent selection. And uh, for you, for me, I'm gonna say goodbye now. What do you say? Goodbye. Goodbye. <laughs> I can't think of any quotes. <laughs>